Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Tuesday, November 26, 2019, which means what? We're now six episodes in to HBO's reinvention of The Watchmen, so what do we think, Aaron? Is, is the show holding up? Okay, so first off, we had, I want to say, eight or nine people that reached out and said that they were all watching. 100% of the people that participated on Twitter were totally watching. Uh, some of them were loving it. So, so far from crowd participation, everybody's on board with The Watchmen. This most recent episode, I was not a huge fan of because it focused on one particular character the entire episode. And I was really, really hoping to get more information about two or three other characters who weren't really present at all. But the, there were some reveals in the most current episode that were very, very cool. And overall, the episode is, is not bad. Just, I want to I wanna know what's up with Osmandis. For me, what's intriguing is we now know that this really is more of a continuation of the original uh, Watchmen story, the, 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 the one that Alan Moore and uh, Dave Gibbons wrote for DC and then was released as a graphic novel in 87. And... And it, again, it's interesting you mentioned Osmandias because we now know this vast estate that he's living on and, well, actually imprisoned on is on Europa. Is, is that right? Well, it's definitely on a moon of Jupiter. There, mm -hmm. But there's many, many little moons that orbit Jupiter, so I'm not going to say I know exactly which one it is. But definitely Jupiter was in the background, so moon of Jupiter, absolutely. Europa, who knows? Okay. If you're, you're like me and you love the original Watchmen graphic novel, and, for, and remember that last page, what newspaper is it where the, the intern you know, you know, gets the package Rorschach's journal that basically is going to upend everything? I have to wonder, is, is this why Osmandius is imprisoned? That his whole scheme to save humanity got exposed after the fact? That or Dr. Manhattan. I mean, I think that Dr. Manhattan's the one that put him there because he's the only one that's really capable of putting him there. This is true. So, yeah, I think that he's still kind of lurking in the background somewhere. I don't expect him to be dead or imprisoned like some of the other heroes are at this moment. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, like the last episode with the whole squid and the mirrors and everything like that, mm -hmm. that was an episode that started off, got my attention right from the get go and paid off all the way through the end. And this one with it being a, a flashback. And yeah, like I said, there was some really great reveals with the makeup and, and such that I thought were really great. I was waiting for other characters to appear, and they never showed up. And I was like, "Ah, oh, darn it! I gotta wait another week." <laughs> well, that's the thing. We have three more episodes between now and, and December fifteenth, which is the season one finale, which is entitled "See How They Fly." I'm just so enjoying this, and more to the point, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of on the same page here in regard to this show. It's kind of in a weird sort of way a funhouse mirror take on what made the original Watchmen so much fun. And I, I just, I can't wait to see what they, they do with the characters. Till the end of the season, it will be hashtag still watching. 
And then uh, when we get around to season two, we'll we'll see how that hashtag may change for the the better or the worse. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sounding more and more like somebody who watched Lost in season two. No, no, I'm not going to say it's it's anything like that at all. I'm just going to say we're going to give season one a full pass to be as mysterious and ambitious as it wants to be. And then uh, after we start getting into season two, we'll if they don't, there there better be some direction and some follow through on your swing is what I'm saying. I agree. So now, now speaking of other things that aren't exactly Marvel related, but still sort of fit fit the Venn diagram that we do here at the the Marvelous Disney podcast. Did you see uh, Chris Evans is now out doing publicity for Knives Out, which is that new Lionsgate movie that Ryan Johnson, he's the guy directed. Uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. He, mm-hmm. he produced and directed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Chris is out, you know, promoting this whodunit, which is supposed to be kind of a fun modern spin on, you know, your, an Agatha Christie type mystery. And he got asked about possibly reprising his Steve Rogers Captain America character for the new Disney Plus limited series Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Chris said to the reporters, "Nah, probably not." There were a million ways during that whole tenure at Marvel could have gone wrong, and it didn't. And and so to stick the landing so well, it would be really kind of a shame to revisit, unless there was something very unique that we felt we the need to reveal. But, but for now, let's let's just be content with how well it ended. That's not the sound of a guy who's looking to make a quick cash grab. That sounds like a guy who knows that old show business adage: "Always leave them wanting more." Right. Well, there's also the idea that he's going to be revisiting the character through the Marvel What If series. That's it, exactly. And so he's going to be voicing the character. But the question that was he was asked specifically was about, would you come back for Falcon and the Winter Soldier? And he said, no, 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 that would be bogus. Then if you turn around and go, hey, would you come back for Marvel What If? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he's not done done with the character. Mm-hmm. He's just not going to taint it by using it, it willy-nilly. You know, if he had a close to that chapter, then great. Mm-hmm. But what if they do a time travel movie where it's back in the 1940s and they need a little shot of cap? And it's like, well... It's not ruining the image of, you know, how he he left the series in Endgame. It's going back in time. So that may make sense to him when he's signing that deal. Who knows? That's definitely an interesting way to look at it. Speaking of which, though, of Marvel Studios' What If, if, uh, again, talking with folks on the Disney television animation side, and supposedly we're going to get 13 half-hour episodes. I guess the understanding is that definitely 10 and possibly 13, but that's... Basically six and a half hours of animation. And what's kind of interesting is Falcon and the Winter Soldier is supposed to only have six episodes. So same thing, just basically six hours of entertainment. So it's interesting that that's the size not only of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but supposedly Loki and WandaVision. And what's kind of intriguing in talking with folks at at Disney Plus is supposedly that's the ideal length when somebody is binging a show. That they can do a six-hour chunk. Then why is Mandalorian only half-hour episodes? Damn it! I don't know what to tell you. That you know that that in fact, I have been chatting with the folks at Disney Plus in regard to the Mandalorian because they are already writing rooms up and running for season two. They are so thrilled with uh, the response to season one 
that it's just sort of like, you know, how much faster can we get this going? And it's just sort of like, we still have to get the Rise of Skywalker out the door. And remember that three months after we get it in theaters, we have to then put it out on Blu-ray and DVD and digital. And there's this whole promotional plan. And I know you're excited about Mandalorian, but you know, remember, we have to get the last installment of the Skywalker saga out the door. It's often fascinating to talk with these guys in promotion because they never talk with them about right now. They're already, okay, three months down the line, six months down the line. Who's going on Good Morning America in April? It's a crazy situation. Doubling back to the Falcon and the, the, the Winter Soldier, the new limited series that Marvel Studios is making for Disney's new subscription streaming service are supposed to link in with the films. And I actually got a little pushback in regard to that when it came to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And if you think about when Falcon and the Winter Soldier is is debuting, and that's the fall of 2020, mm -hmm. the movie that's coming up in that same window, The Eternals, which is arriving in theaters November 6th of next year, Doctor Strange, obviously, is the first magic, metaphysical movie that was done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Likewise... Uh, Guardians was the first movie sort of set in deep space, and then we got Captain Marvel. And Eternals kind of is the Venn diagram of those two films. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a story that's set over thousands of years and has magical, metaphysical elements and, you know, aliens coming to Earth from deep space and, and that sort of thing. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a very down-to-Earth story. It's set on Earth. So it, it doesn't lend itself necessarily to, you know, the sort of, hey, you know, here's Angelina Jolie just walking through a scene or connecting in with that story point. So, you know, I was warned that, like, look, you got to walk before you can run. Uh, on the other hand, WandaVision, that's definitely connecting it. You have to see that before you go to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So that one's going to bow in the late winter, early spring of 2021, and then uh, Multiverse of Madness is out in May of that same year. Likewise, Loki, that debuts in the late summer, early fall of 2021. And again, you get we're going to get six episodes, and then they're going to drop straight into Thor Love and Thunder, which is at least November 4th of uh, 2021. And... Kevin Feige has flat out said, going forward, if you're going to, if you really want to understand all of the nuances and that sort of thing of the, the films going forward, you're going to have to, to be watching the Disney Plus series to, to know everything that's going on. Otherwise, these films will be entertaining, but you'll be missing out on a, a lot of the subtleties or little story points from the shows. By the way, did, did you see the casting news last week in regard to Loki? I saw it, but I don't recall it. So go ahead and re reinform me of something I've already forgotten that was only two days old in my rattled brain. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Sophia DiMartino yes. uh, has, has been cast. If you know from the Marvel Thor comic books how they have, over time, portrayed Loki both as a male and female character. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, that is the plan with, with Dean Martino, that, that uh, she and Hiddleston are going to share the character. Nice. I love the fact that, you know, it took Doctor Who 50 plus years to, to finally have a female doctor. We're, we're barely six episodes into Loki, and it's like, yep, he's female. 
Well, he's a he's a shapeshifter, so I mean, he can he can be whatever he needs to be. We've seen him be Cap. God, who else did he impersonate? He's I think he maybe had just impersonated Cap a couple of different times, but either way, yeah, he can change his appearance to whomever he wants, whenever he wants. So, mm-hmm. uh, totally, I'm all on board with it. Okay, and I know on on our last show we talked a little bit about Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They're the screenwriters of Captain America: Winter Soldier, and then went on to write Civil War, and then. Uh, after that, Infinity Wars and Endgame, they were heavily involved in shaping the final arc of the Infinity Saga. And they just did a Q&A session with the Writers Guild of America West. And they opened up about how far out some of these story beats were put in place. And I've grabbed a, a couple of chunks out of this, uh, a transcript of this Q&A. And so we have McFeely talking about that when Civil War came out, we'd already finished the first draft of both Infinity War and Endgame. We got that job as we were prepping Civil War. So that meant Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel, had hired me, Chris, and the directors, Joe and uh, Anthony Russo, simply based on Winter Soldier, to do these two huge Avengers movies. And, and Marcus chimed in with, and sitting in the room planning Civil War, we nearly had a nervous breakdown. And McFeely goes on to talk about what a leap of faith this was, that they'd only done the one movie so far. So they're tasked with now coming up with the story for Endgame and Infinity Wars. While they're shooting Civil War, the last four months of 2015, they'd cracked both of these films. So it meant that by September 2015, there was a room at Marvel Studios, were up on the wall. There was a three-by-five card. One, one card talked about Tony Stark's death, and the other one talked about Cap's dance with Peggy Carter. Four years ahead of time, they're going to do that in those stories. And so the gentleman who's in charge of the Q&A session so they said, why do you think it's, it was important that those characters' stories ended? Why was it important that Tony Stark died? Why was it important that Cap gets to go back and have that dance with Peggy Carty and live a full life? And Marcus said, because it legitimizes the whole story. If if you keep going until it peters out or or the audience loses interest, it kind of decays backwards. It makes people think less of the movies that came before that. But to have this sort of opportunity to very deliberately tie those story threads together and then have it add up to something and have it end... That's really what stories are all about. That's how you judge whether or not something's great or not. And, you know, just, again, Marcus wanted to say, look, a story needs to end or it loses meaning. The ending is what cements the thing, that actually sews it together and brings it to crescendo. And, yeah, it takes people off the board. It, it finishes their arc. If, if Tony had made it out on the other side and Iron Man 4 was waiting, you were like, eh, one too many. The Q&A guy went on to say, but why does he actually have to die in order for that to happen? You could have given him a conclusion that still had him survive. Others got that. And Marcus said, well, because the man is very determined, he keeps going. We had to kill him off to prevent Iron Man 4 from happening. That's all it comes down to. (laughs) Well, they then talk about Captain America, the first Avenger, where Steve misses his dance with Peggy. And as a writer, you start wondering, I wonder if there's going to be a way to get those two together, even though 70 years are past. I have to admit, I love how Marcus and McFeely had eventually came to look at Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. 
because uh, basically, if you think about it, Civil War sets the stage for what is to follow in Infinity Wars and Adventures. And, and McFeely points out that we realized over the course of the movies that Cap and Tony were, were crossing arcs, that Cap, who had started out as completely selfless and was jumping on grenades willy-nilly, was becoming more self-interested, not to say selfish, but if you watch Civil War, he's, he's clearly making decisions based on what he wants, even if it breaks up the Avengers. Whereas Tony started out as this brash billionaire playboy, and the stakes start growing for him, and, and likewise the sense of responsibility. And we realized that uh, one point late in 2015 that Steve to be his very best self, he was going to have to get a life, and Tony, to be his very best self, might have to lose his life. The question and answer guy said, yeah, because sometimes the grenade goes off, right? And McFeely said, hey, absolutely, sometimes the grenade goes off. So that's why Cap can't die in Endgame, because previously he'd been willing to die, and he'd been willing to die in the first, you know, the first Avengers movie. That's, a character has to go on a journey. Right. Yeah, the arc was he was he was always selfless, willing to die for the cause, and and this was his first selfish act to mm-hmm. stop the mission, just throw away the time device, not come home, go do what what he wants for himself, and everybody cheers that. And the same thing for Tony starts off as a very selfish character, always me, 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 more, 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 and then he mm-hmm. ends up sacrificing himself, which is the noblest sacrifice anybody could give of any cause is of their own mortality. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's the overall story arc of their journey of where they begin and where they end have to be almost like polar opposites for that uh, to feel like they've actually come to their destination. I, I have yet to to watch the extra features on Endgame. Have you watched the scene yet where Tony is with his grown up daughter Morgan? No, I haven't. I'm okay. uh, so not interested in, and it seemed like a mistake when we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad that they didn't put it in the movie at that m- mm-hmm. instant that now that it's available to watch, I don't feel the need to to look at it for any strange reason. It's just kind of like, no, I I think I, I live a fuller life not knowing what that's all about. <laughs> I, well, you know, I'm a guy who peeks at Christmas presents. For me, I got why they would do it because that scene with Thanos and young Gamora about, you know, what did, what did it cost you? I kind of like the bookend of the notion of Tony with his grown daughter, mm-hmm. you know, just talking with her about the, you know, the life she had. See, there's the thing of where we had the bookend with the way that Thanos sits on the steps is the exact same way that the camera shot rolls around him as he sits down to get dusted away in Endgame. They had they had a lot of bookends. They had a lot of ways of of closing it. And I think if they would have went that one extra scene, we all would have been complaining that they went Lord of the Rings with it, where it was goodbye, goodbye, goodbye for like 45 minutes and just wrap this damn thing up ready. You know what I mean? Like they, they had to make a, a line in the sand and go, all right, it's a beautiful scene. It's lovely. However, there are these five reasons why it shouldn't be here. Let's just take it out. So, yeah, I'm still glad it's not there. It's fine. No, you're not wrong, especially when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Yes. It, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Yeah. You know, how can I miss you if you won't go away? Yeah, right. Um, honestly, that whole Q&A with the Writers Guild of America West is available online. And, I, you know, if you, especially if you're, you're like me, very into story mechanics, it's well worth seek, seeking out. And. Uh, Speaking of things that are planned well in advance, when Aaron and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about something that's significant 
about the Marvel movies that Disney plans on releasing to theaters come 2023. What Aaron and I are about to talk about was information that was shared as part of the Walt Disney Company's quarterly earnings conference call, which happened earlier this month. And when they revealed that come 2023, they plan on releasing four brand new Marvel movies to theaters. February 17th, May 5th, July 28th, and then November 3rd. Now, previously, the most Marvel movies we ever got in a single calendar year was three. This started in 2017 when we got... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, that was released in, to theaters in May of that year. Then Columbia Pictures put Spider-Man Homecoming out into theaters on July 7th of that same year. And, and then come the fall, we got Thor Ragnarok, which arrived in theaters in early November 2017. For the pickers out there, yes, I understand. Spider-Man Homecoming was really a Sony production. I mean, Marvel Studios had a lot of, you know, say in... The casting of Tom Holland in the title role, the overall story, the tone, you know, Robert Downey Jr. making that extended cameo as, as Tony Stark and Iron Man. Come 2018, though, we did we got three legitimate films that were made by Marvel Studios that all came out again in the same calendar year. So Black Panther, February 16th, 2018. Then we got Infinity Wars, which came out late April of last year. And then finally Ant-Man and the Wasp, which arrived in theaters early July of 2018. So what's the big deal about the four movies coming out? And think back to the lead-up to Marvel's Avengers. You know, we, we started with our first Iron Man movie, released to theaters in 2008, and then it took four years of films to get to the point where, from a story point of view, as well as, you know, an audience anticipation point, it, it actually made sense that, you know, they did this big superhero meetup movie. Oh, so this is our team-up year is what you're getting at, huh? Yeah, but now here's the intriguing part. You can't put, you know, catching lightning in the bottle twice is tough. Avengers Age of Ultron came out just two years after. The original Avengers made $1.5 billion. Avengers Age of Ultron, coming out two, two years later, made one point four. That was why when it came time to do Infinity Wars Endgame, uh, the decision was, okay, we got to do a big event. We've got to do something that really gets people excited. And they came up with the conceit of literally splitting this giant film in half and having Avengers Infinity Wars arrive in theaters in late April of 2018. And then we had to wait a full year before we got to Endgame. But you can only do that trick, you can only create that sort of pop phenomena once. Kevin Feige has basically said, we've ended the Infinity Saga. We're now in sort of a, a rebuilding phase. We're now you know, getting ready to, to introduce our new set of heroes and new challenges to them and all that. So we're, we're kind of back to Iron Man in 2008 again. That officially gets underway with Black Widow next year. Which is a character who is dead and really shouldn't have much of a cinematic future ahead of her. I wouldn't expect her on the roster of the upcoming team-up movie that we're building towards. So Elizabeth Pugh, on the other hand, uh, the character that she's playing, who supposedly may be picking up the Black Widow mantle. So Oh, that's her introduction, okay. right. Okay, all right. There you go. Okay, so here's what my friends at Marvel Studio are telling me, that when you look at 
the four films that are being released in 2023. Yes, 2023 is the payoff year. It's the year that, you know, they do the big movie. But you can't do Marvel's Avengers from 2013 again. You know, you, you can't do one. On the other hand, you can't do the Avengers Infinity Wars Endgame thing where you, you put them a, a full year apart. So what the idea that they're toying with Aaron is that the, the remember we had a May an early May date uh, May fifth two thousand twenty three and then we had a late July two thousand twenty three date and it's like think about it's it it's a you one know, two punch yeah I, well and, and the interesting thing is they're actually pointing to what Marvel Studios is going to be doing for Disney Plus the whole notion that at that point people will be used to from having watched. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision, and Loki, the notion of in six weeks' time, I get this full story. I buy a ticket in May for part one of a big Avengers team-up movie, and, you know, so it's at the very start of the summer, I get this fun film, and then toward the end of the summer, I get the payoff. It turns out there's precedent that for this, Aaron. Do, do you remember when Back to the Future Part 2 came out in theaters in November of 89? And then 3 was right around the corner from that, right? Six months. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're talking about closing that window by three months. Hey, James Cameron, ask- by the way, Mr. James Cameron. Tap, tap, tap on the microphone. Paging Mr. James Cameron. Are you <laughs> listening to this? Just checking on the status of that Avatar sequel there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yes, yes. I would imagine, you know, poor Mr. Cameron is sitting in his office right now wondering what happened with Dark Fate. Because remember, that that was supposed to be a trilogy, too. You know, and I guess that's the other thing that, that friends at Marvel Studio were cautioning me. He said, look, that this is the plan today. If there's a there's a movie that misfires during this period, if there's... You know, Marvel's had this amazing run of hit films, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue. No, but it's going to take more than one misstep for them to dismantle the entire house of cards. Right now, their foundation is so solid, they would have to make a huge track record of bad to worse mistakes that I just don't see them making because they've been very consistent in creating interesting actors to portray their interesting characters. They've been hiring interesting directors to with a, a weird and odd vision to create something. The decisions that before seemed radical. Mm-hmm. You know, when it was John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. starting this thing, you're like, what? John Favreau ain't made no big budget anything at this point. Now he's, you know, doing Star Wars stuff and he's, he's a big, huge mm-hmm. name. But back in in the olden days of Iron Man 1, he wasn't all that much. Now he's almost the godfather of the MCU uh, because Mm -hmm. he he was the first one that got to instill a cinematic visual language onto the MCU, right? If he would have gone bold with, uh, like, Zack Snyder, as a, a contrast, has a different color palette, right? He made that creative decision. Now, if someone wanted to do a movie that was immediately attached to one of the films he already made, they might decide to mimic that color palette. And so, you know, right off the bat, John Favreau established what the MCU is going to look like. And it was bright, mm-hmm. and it was shiny, and it was fun, and it was glossy, and it was great. It was a good time where it was just eating the popcorn, smiling ear to ear like, ooh, adventure. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. 
And at the same time, what I love about the cinematic universe was the surprise element. I think about in the last 10 seconds of the original Iron Man, where he's sitting there, you know, at the podium and just throw the cards away, I'm Iron Man. That's how the film ends. It's just sort of like, wait a minute, this is a different superhero movie. You know, that that's a great beat to end on because it's like, I want to see where the story goes. Well, we'll come back in two years. You also get uh, the introduction of Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury at the post credit oh, scene, which blows your right. mind even wider open because it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, they're going to reference other things that are going on. With Thor, when they brought Clint Barton on the canvas, and face it, that really is basically a glorified cameo that, that kind of comes out of nowhere, but is still... Just fun layering on the film. What did you think of that? Oh, back in the day? I mean, it was nice to get a small little preview because back then the costumes mattered because we were still Mm -hmm. discovering what all the heroes looked like. You know, this was the first Mm -hmm. time that we were seeing Thor in costume. We hadn't seen Captain America yet. Mm -hmm. So like I was talking about the cinematic language, et cetera, um, it had to have a realistic vibe going to it. So Hawkeye had to have somewhat of a costume and it was rainy. So you really didn't get a long look. It was only a couple seconds long. And like you said, glorified cameo, and then he's gone. But at that point, it was just a, a little taste, a little hors d'oeuvre of what was to come when we are now coming to the, the realization that Avengers is going to happen sometime in the future, as long as we keep buying movie tickets and supporting the series. Cause if we don't, show up for the films we don't get the big payoff of of an avengers movie so i know i was always buying a ticket in the early days mm-hmm. because it mattered it, it was a vote saying please make an avengers movie please make this happen you promised you gave us a nick fury you promised <laughs> us now take my money <laughs> oh, that, 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 that's true that we were all investing in the future you know by buying movie tickets yeah speaking of jeremy renner and the future uh Bunch of stories made the rounds earlier this month about possibly that Jeremy Renner was was going to the, the role of Clint Barton was going to be recast in the Hawkeye limited series that's uh, supposed to debut in at Disney Plus in 2022. I want to say, Mr. Renner is was married for a very short time back in 2013. I think it was 11 months, but. There was a child involved, and there's you know been a, a protracted custody battle going on, and you know as as happened, ugly things get said in court, and they wander out into the press. And the interesting thing is that the folks at Marvel Studios actually went to Disney because, of course, Disney is is a company that's always concerned about its image, and it's like you know, they vouch for Jeremy. It's like, look, we've we've worked with him. Forever, we like this guy. Yeah, they've recast roles in the past. I mean, you know, what, from Iron Man 1 to Iron Man 2, Rhodey went from being Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle, mm-hmm. who's had that role throughout the rest of the run of the Infinity Films. So they're not, you know, they don't necessarily, they're not against recasting. Yeah, Hulk was recast. It used to be Ed Norton, now it's a Mark tr- Ruffalo. So, yeah. Yep. But yeah, I just I kind of like the whole notion of you know just yeah I know there are headlines don't pay attention to those we're still going to make this and as of right now uh, the Hawkeye limited series is still a go uh, with Jeremy Renner in the title role and, and by the way folks if you hammer on Google Disney did a presentation in Europe for uh, Disney Plus for the new subscription service and evidently as part of that presentation. 
a couple of great pieces of concept art from uh, Hawkeye, and I want to say uh, new stuff for WandaVision leaked out. So do yourself a favor, go hammer on Google, or, or for that matter, maybe Aaron and I will go hammer on Google for you and maybe share that through Twitter or Instagram. There was a thing on, if you're talking about crazy images and whatnot, at comicbook.com. Just in the last couple of days, they had some concept art from one of the recent Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe artwork books that you can go oh. and buy. And this okay. image specifically was of Stark and Doctor mm -hmm. Strange end up kind of swapping costumes. It's uh, when uh, Doctor Strange is being interrogated and the needles are going in him on the spaceship. Mm -hmm. And yep. what they had envisioned was that Stark sends his Iron Man suit to go down and engulf Doctor Strange to protect him from the needles. That's great. And so what happens is the Eye of Agamotto ends up being the centerpiece of the chest instead of the arc reactor. And he ends up shooting like green plasma bursts. It's powered by magic instead of electricity at this point. Mm. And then the cape goes over Tony and Tony's just wearing his black under Iron Man costume, which is just, you know, like black stretch pants and black stretch shirt and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then the cape uh, from Dr. Strange lands on his shoulders and he flies about dodging mayhem or, or what have you. Um, but it, it's like the, the guys look similar because they both have dark hair and a goatee and they're very arrogant attitudes. So it was like, yeah, why not just have them swap places for a second and then let them acknowledge that they're, copies of one another uh but in what different ways an idea wow yeah um that's that's got to be coming out of the art of avengers endgame book i, I in fact I i'm, so, I'm yeah. on the hunt for that right now that it, i think it was officially supposed to hit store shelves on november 22nd and i always like to actually eyeball the book before i buy it i'm a luddite you know i mean i, I get the whole amazon thing i just want to see things in advance physically hold in my hand before I buy something. So Well, um, at comicbook.com, they end up doing a flip through like almost every page. It's like about a 15 minute video as they flip through it. So you can actually see some of the images. And this image is around like 10 minutes, nine seconds into that video. And okay. it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Well, look at the time, folks. I think it's time to wrap up the show so I can go to comicbook.com. So let's get in our plug so I can get out of here. So in addition to the show that Aaron and I do here, uh, we also do Disney Dish with Len Testa, which is about the Disney parks. So we also do Universal Joint, which is about the Universal Parks and Resorts. Also do fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, which is about animation news. We also do Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zare, and that is about the Star Wars side of the Walt Disney Company. And finally, we have I Want That, uh, which is about Disney merch, which I do with Michelle Valladolid, and I have the uneasy feeling that as part of our next show, I'm going to be talking about the art of Endgame and how I want that. Head over to iTunes and rate and recommend Marvelous Disney. If you get out of Bandcamp and subscribe, that helps us afford giant books like uh, The Art of Endgame. On behalf of Aaron, I uh, want to thank you for listening. Also hope all of you had a, a, a fine Thanksgiving uh, with friends and family. And uh, we will be back with a brand new show soon. So till then, take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.